Hello and welcome to the Future of Business podcast. I'm Alison MacArthur and I'll be your host in this second season. We're very excited about our slate of upcoming episodes, which will tackle a broad range of topics, from energy to sustainable business to Brexit. Going forward, we plan to offer a new episode every other week, so please subscribe if you haven't already. That will ensure that you get the latest content as soon as it's released. The Future of Business podcast is an entirely student-run initiative from MBA students at Oxford Said Business School, and we really appreciate your continued support. The future of business. Future of business. Future of business. More global and more decentralized. Making sure that enterprises are a lot more responsible. Smart cities. More collaboration. Consumer-driven productivity. Environmental and social responsibility. Global. Human-centered. Purposeful. Individualized. Automation. Big data. Climate change. Space exploration. Renewable energy. Information security. Exciting and digital. For this episode, we'll be talking about the future of banking. The way in which we bank has significantly changed over the last few years. Instead of visiting a branch, many people are choosing to check their balances and send payments through their phones. A new crop of online banks, known as challenger banks, have recently entered the marketplace, promising a superior customer experience with additional services such as budgeting on an app. But what does this mean for the traditional banks, our HSBCs or NatWests? How will the rise of online banking affect high street branches, the competitive landscape and our experiences as customers? One of the fastest growing challenges in the banking space right now is Monzo, a digital-only bank that's growing rapidly across the UK. Founded in 2015, the company now has over a million users and is one of the latest tech companies to reach the so-called unicorn milestone, achieving a valuation of over £1 billion. Monzo's co-founder and CEO, Tom Blomfeld, sat down recently with Said Business School alumna Yatunde Dada, a senior consultant product manager with Quantum Black. We're pleased to bring you part of that wide-ranging conversation, organised by Oxford's Entrepreneurship Centre. How do you think traditional banks are responding to the threat of Monzo, other challenger banks, and how do you rank their offerings? <laughs> um... <laughs> How are they res- um, how are they responding? Um, two or three years ago, um, they were very dismissive. It's like you're never going to get to scale, blah blah blah, whatever. We hit a million customers, and they've stopped saying saying you're never going to get to scale. And now they're saying you're never going to make any revenue. And then we'll make revenue, and then they'll find some other mm. reason, and then they'll be dead. Um, so, <laughs> I think they are they all are all reacting now. Um, and they're either going to your consultancy called 11FS, or they're going to McKinsey and saying, can you come and build us a digital bank, please? <laughs> um, and so you've got Bo by RBS, apparently, which is the... I will not comment on the name. Um, but that's a sort of standalone digital bank built by RBS. I think HSBC are doing a similar thing. Similar thing. Um, uh, so broadly speaking, they're all taking the same strategy, which is let's create a, a challenger brand with new technology mm-hmm. and sort of cannibalize ourselves before someone else cannibalizes us. The problem that Bo is having, and that they will all have, is they're still under the umbrella of the parent, and so they're infected by things like their policies. They have to follow the main bank's policies, which are extremely risk-averse. So we end up gold-plating a lot of the, a lot of the rules and um, just stifling innovation. Um, so that's how I think they're responding. How would I rank them? Um, I think Barclays is probably at the top, actually. Um, if we, we look at customer satisfaction surveys and, and sort of app features, Barclays tend to be at the top. Um, HSBC and RBS are at the other end of the spectrum, I think, and then the rest somewhere in the middle. 
Um, I was a, a NatWest customer for 17 years, but I finally closed it to go full Monzo about six months ago. I'm glad you're using your product. <laughs> <laughs> so do you ever think they'll be able to close the digital gap? They often come with like a lot of resources in terms of capital, and if they try and develop banks that are kind of separate from the policies because they really have some innovative CEO who's able to break free, do you think that they could present a challenge for you guys? I don't know. Um, I tend not to, th for most of my tend not to think so. I think they have a few problems. Um, one is that um, I think people in traditional banks, let's say, retail financial services, broadly speaking, are so obsessed with financial products and so siloed in their thinking and organizational design that they, they organize themselves around each financial product and work on the optimization of that, that financial product um, to the exclusion of all else, to the exclusion of the customer. The customer seems like an annoying inconvenience that sort of get their money and then get them out of the way so we can just focus on doing more of this financial product. A lot of people at big banks have never talked to an actual customer using their actual products. They spend a lot of time thinking about their product, but they don't think about the human being. And so that, I think, is their first problem. Um, the second problem, I think, is that um, we're moving from a full-service bank where you sign up when you're very young and, and Barclays or HSBC or whatever cross-sells you all of its own products throughout your life, this kind of KPI of, of products cross-sold per customer. And I think we're moving to a platform model of banking, or a hub-and-spoke, where you use a single interface, but you plug in all of these different products from, out, from across the market, giving the customer better choice, better customer service, better price. So a single interface, but different balance sheets all plugging in via APIs, basically. That prevent, uh, presents an existential threat to the bank's business model. The banks are predicated on acquiring a customer young and then selling suboptimal products. They don't want to price them at the top of the, the best buy tables because they make less money. So they rely on inertia and, and cross-sell. So I think this move to a platform model fundamentally undermines the big bank's business models. To learn more about these issues, I sat down with Alice Truswell, a fellow MBA student and friend of the podcast. After starting her career in strategy consulting, Alice spent the past few years working in digitalisation and digital strategy at the Commonwealth Bank Australia. I started by asking Alice about how new challenger banks are changing the banking ecosystem and whether there was a gap in the market that caused so many of them to pop up over the past few years. I think that part of it was more that there was this opportunity for, for truly great digital experiences that was going nuts from the tech giants that we've seen pop up, your gaffer, you know, Google, Apple, Facebook and Amazon um, and and the rise of incredible platform-like companies in, in places like China as well with, with WeChat. And traditional banks have just never really played in that space. Uh, and the other thing is that, I guess, since the financial crisis, you know, we talk about this um, loss of trust or loss of trustworthiness that banks have gone through. And it has left an opportunity open for players to come in who are offering something that's completely different to what people are used to expecting from banks. And it's come in a few forms. So when we, when we talk about a challenger bank, we generally mean any type of bank that is challenging, um, the traditional big banks. And so that could even be things like uh, Metro that still have branches, but have come in with a new model that is much more um, customer centric than, than potentially the old high street banks. 
when we think about neobanks, we generally mean neo as in kind of almost banks. They don't yet necessarily have banking licenses, but they're able to offer some banking products and they offer a super slick user interface that connects people with banking products. So an example of that might be Revolut or Monzo up until February last year, which was when they got their full banking license. That can bring us to the last category of these new banks, which are digital-only banks providing super slick, mainly mobile or app-based platforms that have a, an entirely new tech stack behind them. So the systems that they're based on are not the systems that the old banks were building in, in the 80s and the 90s, mm. but are brand new tech designed to be as as quick and as seamless as possible for people to be able to do their banking tasks and also as flexible as possible. So how do you think this has affected the banking ecosystem? Do traditional banks see these neobanks as their direct competitors or do they have potential to work together in more collaboratively? Has there been evidence of that happening so far? Yeah, I think that it's um, it will be a long process and the neobanks are being taken more seriously as they are growing in in customer base and in brand recognition. So you mentioned Monzo. Monzo has an incredibly strong brand. Um, but I think that the traditional banks are are seeing this and are acknowledging it. But it's yet to be proven whether this is something that's quite novel and fun and exciting for people to get involved in, something something cool to have in your wallet, but not necessarily the institution that you are considering as your main financial services provider. Mm-hmm. There is still a gap there, and most of the new banks suggest that only you know 20 to 25% of their customers are actually depositing their salaries into their new accounts, which means that most of their banking is still being done at a bigger traditional provider. Mm -hmm. And I think that until that reaches critical mass, the big traditional banks will still be able to sit back and say, let's let's see how this plays out. Um, But at the same time, it has definitely prompted change in the industry. People still trust traditional banks to keep their money and their data safe. They still trust that basic security capability of a big bank. Um, With the new banks, that trust hasn't yet formed yet because there just haven't been enough years. There's not enough of a track record there. But the way that they are coming in and the way that they are positioning themselves and as transparent as they are being about the development of their features and their strategy... People, people are loving that and so trust that that bank is really trying to do something different, that they are putting the customer first, is probably stronger for some of these, these neo-challenger banks. So what do you think the solution is then for traditional banks who are trying to figure out how to respond or react to these challenger banks? I think the solution is that the big banks have to be very real about what's coming and I think they are taking that seriously um, to certain extents uh, around the world in terms of putting the customer first because it's not going to be good enough anymore to have an institution that is structured around channel and product. You need to be structured around customer need 
if a customer goes into a branch and they hear different information or see different branding or have a different experience to what they get when they call a service center or when they are on their app, that's going to be quite jarring for customers and that inconsistency is going to be a problem. So the big banks are really going to have to be a lot more serious about integrating all of their channels for a smooth experience. Um, and they are going to have to think about how they can add greater value to customers. They have sat on customer data for a number of years, but traditionally that data has been used to optimize the selling of banking products. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to be looking, and a lot of banks around the world are starting to do this, at how that data can be used to benefit the customers. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot of backlash at the moment against the use of personal data. And I imagine with digital banking, you know, you're, you're going to be doing a lot of you know processing of customers' data. Is that, do you think, going to be a roadblock for a lot of these challenger banks or even traditional banks who are trying to develop their own sort of digital strategy? Mm. I think when it comes to data there are a few things first is is data security and banks invest a huge huge amount of money into data security as as they need to um the second is the amount of data so big banks having had customers for so many so many decades have an enormous amount of of data the structure of that data may not be ideal to be able to use it to the best of its um potential but the volume is there Neo banks, challenger banks, digital banks have access to great um, tech and algorithms to use the data and they might be getting new data that's well structured, but the volume isn't there. And to build truly great algorithms and uh, to make the most of that data, you need a high volume of data being pulled into that. So it, it, it's a it's a balancing act between those two things. People are a lot more comfortable sharing their data, even if it's their banking data, if they think that that's going to give them better services. And this applies not just to banking data, but to our lives in general. I am comfortable with Google knowing where I am if that means I can use maps. Mm. And the same thing goes for banking. So if my bank knowing where I am through location services on my app means that when I'm at the airport, they can remind me that I should lock my card for transactions in the country that I'm leaving, or to remind me to tell them that I'm going overseas so that they have an alternate number to contact me on, then I'm happy with them having that information about me. And I think that that's largely, um, I mean, it's a generalization, but it is something that our generation is more comfortable with. And the data shows that when people think that they will get better or cheaper services, they are happy to give away personal data to get that. So a lot of people are like opening accounts with challenger banks, but are they really putting their whole savings into it? Are they paying their salaries into it? Has that sort of trust been established yet? Or is it more kind of, you know, a small amount of money that they can use or budget with and that sort of thing? I think that at this stage, people are playing with the idea. Mm. I think they think it's cool. Um, Look, you you know, you see some of the cards that the challenger banks are putting out there. And even when they just move the the writing on the card from, you know, a a horizontal card to a portrait card, suddenly it looks like a completely different card. (laughs) And you're like, wow, wow, they're really shaking up the industry. Um, (laughs) But 
I think that novelty is something that people want. But the excitement factor, will that translate to people taking those banks absolutely seriously Mm -hmm. as their long-term financial service providers? Not yet, because at the moment it's only about um, a fifth to a quarter of people who are putting their salaries into these digital-only banks. Um, I don't know how quickly that is changing, but certainly uh, when I think about it from a personal perspective or when I talk to friends about it, they say, let's just see how this plays out before I move my serious products Mm -hmm. over over to the digital banks a lot of people say oh digital banks are the best thing that's ever happened Mm -hmm. to the banking industry Mm -hmm. and then you say oh but you know where's your salary yeah oh it's going into (laughs) of course it's going into the the high street bank yeah absolutely but i think like you're saying you have to sort of give um give the um digital banks credit like their marketing strategy has been really good it's interesting to see you know it's almost like when you get one of these cars that you're joining a club Mm. you know like they sort of make the most like you know there are limited amounts of cars available like you know they're different kind of brands and you know it's it's it's, it's very interesting yeah. you can sort of see why it draws people in but like you say in terms of you know in the long goal obviously they want people to to you know bank with them as their main bank but i guess that remains to be seen definitely the emotion that these digital banks can evoke in people and i i am thinking most specifically of monzo mm-hmm. um though i think n26 which is a german-based digital only bank have done quite a job a good job as well um the emotion is incredible and i love that emotion is being brought into banking because when people feel more emotional about their service provider they are probably also thinking more emotionally or more actively about the day-to-day running of their money and i think that's incredibly important for people's financial well-being yeah actually. and not to be scared of their bank or be scared of looking at their balance or to kind of buy it yeah exactly to be engaged with your day-to-day money management is important mm-hmm. and i love that digital banks are bringing that to the forefront. I love that traditional banks are responding by also trying to create engaging user experiences through their digital platforms. Um, I can imagine it must like, you know, encourage responsible spending, especially after the last few years. I think people are probably sort of more conscious about what they're spending their money on. They don't necessarily want to take out a lot of loans and having that sort of transparency and that kind of visibility Mm. of uh, what's going in and out of their accounts. Mm. I think it probably can only help. Something that's quite interesting. I mean, I'm from Australia, so I don't know what the international data on this is, but Younger people are becoming more and more cautious about things like credit cards, Mm -hmm. not wanting to get into too much debt, housing prices skyrocketing as they are around the world, scares people. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that being able to be a generation of people who are engaged with everything digitally mm-hmm. and used to open, opening up apps multiple times a day. We're also seeing that translate into banking where people are opening up their banking app every single day. To have that kind of engagement is surely a good thing. Um, I hope that it helps to stop people going into financial hardship if they can see what's happening in their accounts on a day-to-day basis and they can look for things like fraud and stop it as it's, as it's happening. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
We have a lot of great episodes coming up for this latest season of the Future of Business podcast. So subscribe on iTunes to make sure you get the latest interviews and analysis from Oxford Said Business School as soon as it's released. If you have any comments or suggestions, then drop us an email at sbspodcasts at sbs.ox.ac.uk. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be bringing you a new episode in just a couple of weeks' time. So until then, goodbye. Goodbye.